This is Heart of the Matter Espresso, meaning if you don't call by the time we open up the phone lines and see the spot, we're shutting it down. Uh, we do, we, this is where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and in truth. I'm your host, Sean McCraney, and I'm going to introduce uh, Brian here in a second. Uh, but let me, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, we uh, pause and thank you publicly and on air to, for all that you do. And we realize that we know very little of how much you uh, protect us and guide us, care for us, bless us. So we uh, just thank you and ask you to send your spirit to be with us and uh, the volunteers and staff and anybody who's watching uh, throughout the world, streaming or in the archives or here in the, in the studio church. We love you. Be with, be with us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we were uh, getting ready for the show and, and this young man just wanders in and off the street, lost, and do you need something? And no, no, just kidding. This is Brian from Seattle. Brian uh, came out with 14 boys, the Lake Hills Synergy Soccer Club to participate in what? It's the uh, President's Cup Regional Tournament here in Salt Lake. President's Cup Regional Tournament yeah. here in Salt Lake City. They've won the first game? Won our first game, yeah. Won their first game this yeah. morning in, in Seattle-like weather. And uh, so, but uh, Brian is a foot and ankle surgeon. He has a daughter who's a sophomore, a son who's going to be a senior. Yep. And he's been married 27 years. This next month, yeah. This next month. Yeah. And he came to know Heart of the Matter because he has a love for the LDS and he looked up online and then he started watching the shows, especially when the missionaries would come around. He would kind of bone up on certain topics. Tell us about, tell us, have you had any recent interaction with LDS? Um, well, I have a couple of kids on the team that are great kids and I have interaction more with them in the soccer mode because of their age, difference in the coach relationship. Um, but yeah, they come around pretty, pretty commonly. Um, they they kind of know my house now, I think, you know, the, our area, because I've had probably six or seven uh, different uh, pairs of missionaries come through over the years. Uh, and uh, so they come by and I chat with them and when I have time. And we've had them in for dessert and dinner and stuff like that. Even mm -hmm. even the mission, uh, the guy who runs the missionaries at the local ward came for dinner Whoa. one night. So. But uh, yeah, so not as much recently, but a couple of years ago, they were, it was like a weekly, they were coming by, we were having chats, yeah. Now we talked about, before the show, we're talking just a little bit about what great kids, uh, often the LDS are great kids. Oh yeah. And, uh, and uh, you notice how the missionaries are often great guys. Mm -hmm. So what, what, what is lacking in, I mean, if they're such great human beings, yeah. what is it that's lacking in your, in your estimation? Well, yeah, good question. I mean. I think it's just knowing the real Jesus. I think, you know, I think the hardest part is I, I see the kids and I even see the older adults I've met and they genuinely, be, you know, believe what they believe and they, they just feel it's right. And a lot of them, as you, you know, as we know, they, you know, come from the cradle all the way up and this is what they know and, and, and everything. And so when you start talking about, you know, Jesus being God and, and deity and, and they just don't see it that way and yeah. and when so it's it's just the not i think it's not knowing the real jesus yeah and and kind of having all these other things and being able to kind of skirt around him how, how it how it is and and so that's probably the number one thing does your son uh have in, any interest in uh outreach to uh, the lds kids uh yeah you know the two of the guys on our team they're probably some of his he oh. enjoys them a lot and i tried to get him to come tonight he was 
going out to In-N-Out Burger or something with the boys, hey, and I couldn't get him to come. Guy has priorities. I know. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's a you know, junior going into senior high school, so he's kind of figuring out life. But he's a thoughtful kid, and, uh, and he's plugged into church youth group and, has a, has a, for his age, has a pretty good understanding of Scripture and pretty, pretty well-grounded. So I'm hoping he'll continue on that. That's wonderful. So. I know I put you on the spot here. You weren't prepared for this, but any thoughts that you, I mean, we, we, get, it on the, we get it in the can. We get it forever in the archives. Yeah. Anything, uh, you told me, I've never been on a, a broadcast before. Right, yeah. Anything that you would like to say publicly, I, we don't care who it is, your wife, your family, to whoever, anything on your heart about the faith. Um, oh, about Christianity yeah. or? Um, yeah, you know, I think, the number one thing for me, I mean, I've, I've, I, I was introduced to uh, Christ at a very young age, you know, five years old, six years old, brought up in the church. And the thing, it took me probably till I was in my mid-20s, mid-30s to really realize the power of, of Scripture and the power of the Word of God and how it's our authority. And, you know, when I've talked to people, you know, LDS people or Catholic people or whoever, it always goes back to what's, what's your source of truth, you know, what's your source of authority. And when I really grasped that in my mid-twenties that, you know, when I, when I want to look for truth, it's there in Scripture. You know, not every single little thing we deal with, but in general truth, how do I live my life? How do I, how do I follow Jesus? It's there. And um, if we listen to media or everything else, then we get off track. And so that's the hardest part I found in talking with the LDS um, missionaries is that different sources of authority, right? And so we're, we're kind of coming in from different starting points and so until you get there it's it's hard so i think that's probably the biggest thing Love is it. is bible the word of god yeah so. and you know if you go if you go a couple days even kind of without it you, you notice the the a little bit of a hole mm -hmm. you just notice it yep. so I, I concur thanks yeah. so much hey uh, awesome for thanks yeah, for having really me Sean. Good, yeah, yeah. Ah. all right uh Those of you who live in Logan, Utah area, all the way up to Preston, Idaho, this may be of some interest to you. Wednesday, June 21st, 7 p.m., uh, Warren uh, Puckett of Breaking Bread, myself, are going to be traveling up there at a, a home outside of Preston. Uh, we're talking about Mormonism and Christianity and a relationship, direct relationship with the Lord Jesus. And so all uh, we'll be bringing up uh, our books. Food will be there. Warren will be there to shake your hand. And... Uh, all are welcome. Any ilk or stripe, show up. Uh, I don't have the address with me uh, right here, but I'll give it to you before the end of the show because Cassidy's looking it up as we speak. Uh, that's Wednesday, June 21st from 7 to 9 p.m. Join us if you're in that area. All right, let's just move on to the show. Evangelical Christianity generally takes a couple of pretty standard stances uh, relative to the good news. Uh, some say that God elects those to receive the good news here by faith, and the rest he essentially elects to burn forever uh, in hell. That's one view. Uh, others say that every one of us have a choice. Uh, this is the Arminian view, and uh, to choose God. And if they don't, then uh, they also will uh, burn forever, and they usually speak of Hades as this place that it happens. Well, I don't. I do not preach another gospel. There's never going to preach another gospel. But I do preach another view of its application in this world. And see, I believe that God through Christ has had the total victory 
over sin and death, and that all people, stay with me, will ultimately be reconciled to him by and through his victory. I don't think God loses to Satan. I don't think he loses to man and their will. I think God will have uh, the triumph. Um, but I do think only a few are part of Christ's kingdom. See, there's the difference in, in what we're talking about. And if you're not part of Christ's kingdom, I don't see the value in the reconciliation. But when we consider the old and new covenants, just try to see them as different dispensations. Um, or different economies, or different administrations. And I've talked about this before, but the first administration, Old Testament, operated under the auspices of the law. And while the law was perfect, human beings were not, therefore none could or would be made righteous by obedience to it. The blood of bulls and goats could not make a person uh, righteous. And so in the second economy, that's the Old Testament, now in the second economy or administration, there it operated under God's grace through faith on His only begotten Son. And while these two are very different administrations or economies, they both had the same goal, to bring human beings to God by faith. Even in the Old Testament, it was by faith, you know? So we might liken this change of administration from the Old Testament to the New the way we would look at the change of uh, American presidents. When there's uh, one administration that's uh, Democrat and the next one is Republican, just to make it simple. So where the goal of each president should be, I guess, to govern and lead the nation, right? Same goal. Their administrations are different in how they go about and do that. And the same is true with the Old and New Testaments. The Greek word translated dispensation in the King James Version of the Bible is oikonomia. And you'll understand that's where we get the word economy, the oikonomia. And scripture speaks of different oikonomias or dispensations. Uh, for example, we frequently read that when people operated or lived under the law, that was that one oikonomia. But Paul, not only saying that we are dead to the law, Different administration, right? Uh, but he said in 1 Corinthians 9, 17, that a dispensation of the gospel was committed to him. So a new economy was given to Paul to administer God's desire to bring people by faith to him. Paul was in charge of that one. Is there a culminating or a final dispensation or oikonomia? Um, one that will never change. Uh, if so, when or will it arrive? Has it already arrived? What are the characteristics? In Galatians 4.4 we read, but when the fullness of time was come. Now that word fullness of time is oikonomia. So when the fullness of the dispensation was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So from this passage, we know the fullness of time, that, that word oikonomia, came when God sent forth His Son. That's the, that's the fullness of time, is what Galatians 4.4 4 says. And to do, and His Son came forward to do two things. To redeem them that were under the law, and... So also that we might receive the adoption of sons. So he, the Jesus came to 
to, uh, in the fullness of time, to complete all dispensations. Uh, what else did Jesus coming in the fullness of time accomplish besides those two things? Well, Paul writes in Ephesians 1.10 that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, that's the word again, economia, which began when Jesus was born, according to Galatians 4.4, he might gather together, listen, in one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and are in earth, even in him. All right. Now, some people might suggest that all does not mean all here. Uh, they might say that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, God did not gather into one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him. They would say that's not what it means. It doesn't not mean all. I think it means all. I think all in all. That's my view, you know, and you can definitely disagree with it. But I would suggest that Scripture says otherwise. I suggest that it talks about him having the victory over all things and heaven and earth and even below the earth it talks about. None excluded. Now, this is not universalism. Don't get that. Don't mistake me. Jesus Christ is the only way, right? Philippians 2.9 says, Wherefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of the things in heaven, the things in earth, the things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That says that right there. You know what scripture also says? It says no man can say Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. So what that verse says is every knee and every uh, tongue will confess, every knee will bow, but scripture also says no one can confess Jesus is Lord. So to me, it says that the Spirit has touched everybody at some point in time. Colossians 1.20 says, having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Then speaking of the dispensation or economy or administration, the apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.20, speaking of Jesus, he said, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times or economia for you. That's the last dispensation, the final dispensation. So from all this, I want to conclude the following quick points. The dispensation of the fullness of times began when God sent forth his son, born of a woman, made under the law. That's the, that's the dispensation of the fullness of times. That the purpose of this dispensation was to redeem those born under that economy and to open the door for all souls who, who choose to be, become the sons of God through adoption that this dispensation or administration would end when Jesus returned when he said he would, within that generation, bringing judgment upon Jerusalem in 70 AD. That's when that dispensation of the fullness of times ended. That this wrapped up that whole economy and administration and that all things at his coming were reconciled to God through him. Read uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 22 through uh, 28 
whether in heaven or on earth, and that God has certainly reconciled all things to himself by and through his Son, with Christ being the first fruits of all God's creations. Remember James 1.8 says, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The, the churches is the first fruits. And if you have first fruits in believers, then you have second, third, and fourth fruits that come along with it. All human beings being drawn and called to Christ by the Spirit can choose to become sons and daughters of God if they're willing, if they want the light over the dark, if they want reconciliation to God. They can, it's offered to them constantly. But most notably, there is a huge difference between the victory Christ has had over all things and becoming a son or daughter of God through Christ. Huge difference, night and day difference. Becoming a son or daughter of God means that while on this earth, people chose to hear the Spirit, they listened, they sought truth, and by faith they received it, by His Spirit, in and through agape love, they selflessly, sacrificially were not of this world. They had their focus on Christ and they followed Him. In the face of all this, we know that all people will, this is scripture, reap what they sow. And, and so those who have sown to the Spirit through Christ will reap to the Spirit after this life. And those who have sown to the flesh will reap to the flesh after this life. And if you don't reap to sow to the Spirit here, you'll have nothing to reap there. You see, so it's not a universalism. It's not all roads lead to heaven. It's nothing like that. And it still shows that the choice is there and the few that find it are his sons and daughters, joint heirs with Christ, as scripture says. Those who were first here will be last there. That's scripture. Those who were last here will, because of their devotion to Christ will be first there. Finally, that being Christ by faith makes us members of the family of God, which is very different from being a reconciled creature that God has had victory over through his son. This is what caused Paul to write in Ephesians 3.14. Listen, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That's a son and daughter of God. That's what we seek to be. That's what we preach about. That's what we talk about is by the spirit being his son and daughter, not being a child of the world, not being a creature unregenerated that is going to be uh, reconciled by the virtue of God's love. It is a choice that we make wanting him. So, not a description of all people in heaven and earth reconciled to him, that passage. That was a passage to believers, to know the height, depth, width, and, and breadth of Christ and the love of Christ. Um, with that, let's move on to our third part of striking at the root. And we'll get to it as soon as I drink this elixir.
By the way, the address for the 21st, 7 p.m., a Wednesday, is 532 East, 800 South, Preston, Idaho, 83263. And we'll announce that one more time before we wrap it up. Uh, thus far, we've discovered, if you haven't been with us, we're talking about two ways, and we're talking about the ways that Christ has had the victory and the beauties that it gives us and then what religion does to it and how they take it and they change it. And I laid out the chart here. In fact, I'm going to go up to it. And we'll walk through it together. And on the chart, we've been using this for the past month, and we're going to go down through about 11 topics. We're on the third one tonight. And we said a number of weeks ago that Christ's victory gave us the good news. We talked all about what the scriptural precedents were of that good news. We talked about the wonderful results of the good news. Then we talked about what religion does to the good news that says, well, but you also have to. And also, this is not enough. And this, and it wound up to be bad news. Okay. And then we talked about last week, the unburdening that comes from uh, the victory Christ has had. That we, uh, we come unto me all ye that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. That we take off the burdens. And whenever you meet somebody who has come to know Christ, they become unburdened. And we talked about the wonderful results in the scriptural precedent. But we talked about religion then somehow thinking that they need to add more. And we talked all about that. It was a list that long. And, and then suddenly the victory Christ had becomes a burden again. So it, it doesn't make any sense. Well, tonight... We're going to talk about something else. And I want to qualify what I'm going to say with this little, just a little preamble. I believe what a person does in this life, whatever you do, it's between you and God and how he created you. You can be a shoe cobbler. You can be a homeless person. You can be... A, a, a physicist, it, whatever you're going to be, that is what you are. And I'm, this is not what we're talking about. We ought to pursue the course within us that God has planted in us. And I sincerely believe that. Uh, so what we do in terms of labor or our interest or our hobbies is up to the individual. The question is, do we sow to our flesh while we pursue these earthly things or do we sow to our spirit? That really becomes a bigger question. Okay. The topic tonight, one of the wonderful things that is a result of his victory is humility. And it comes by virtue of this access to the spirit because people realize who they are relative to who God and Christ are. And it seems to be based on the fact that genuine believers understand that he has done it all on our behalf. He really has. He really has had that victory. And it humbles us. And that without him, we would be lost and broken. And that in the presence of the living God, no flesh has any right to glory in their flesh. It doesn't matter what they are, do, or whatever. We don't have a right to glory in our flesh. Now, this response of humility is the way most biblical characters have responded to knowing God. They, uh, they have been 
introduced to God and they have awe and reverence and fear and self-abasement and trembling and ego that breaks into shambles, if not immediately, over the course of time. Jesus said in Matthew 18, uh, 4, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself, and it is something we choose to do, humble himself as a little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's not how it works on this world, but again, sowing to the spirit versus sowing to the flesh. Later, Jesus taught in Matthew 23, 11, he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. So again, you know, are you serving in that capacity humbly and instead of be, being whatever? This is not some pretend servant. It's an honest to good servant slave who toils in humility. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 12, Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and whosoever shall humble himself shall be exalted. James wrote, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will dry nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Listen to this. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourself. The Apostle Peter added in 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6, Likewise, you, no, you youngers, uh, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud. That's the second time we've come that. You want to know God, how God will resist you? Become proud and haughty and arrogant. He will resist you. He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, Peter reiterates, therefore under the mighty hand of God that you may, he may exalt you in due time. Of course, this is one of my uh, favorites, probably because it speaks to my wicked flesh. And I know this passage uh, so well in my heart. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father. The pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. So remember those words. One of the amazing results of the gospel in the lives of arrogant man, which is certainly all of us before we come to know him to some extent or another, is the good news and the victory begins to eliminate slowly but surely our pride. God knows we're proud, but he gently by that spirit coming in his love for us, in spite of our insipid arrogance, he slowly takes it away by his spirit. And they become humble vessels, not proud. This call caused Paul to write in the first chapter of Corinthians. I know you know it. It's the all familiar, but listen to it because it's the, it's the preface for this part that's coming in just a second. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel with, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us uh, that are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the world? Has not God made the foolish made 
foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. We see this happen time and time again. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them that are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised has God chosen yea and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are ready that no flesh should glory in his presence we got that that no flesh should ever glory in his presence and yet I'm sorry organizations really tough for gatherings of people, you can't help but gloat over the mighty when they're mightier in their presence. Now, true Christians, this doesn't happen. But not only do they gloat, they promote. They gloat and then promote uh, the mighty into places of responsibility that are not available to the common man. They're just not. And to the weak things of the world, they don't have the same opportunity. And to the despised, and, and to the, uh, all these things, that, all those people that Paul referenced in, in 1 Corinthians. This is the way of man, you see. This is the way of religion. And you have to remember, religion comes from that Latin, and that Latin word means to bind. And so when this takes over, this gets lost. And it's the big thing, you know, we're not religious, we're not relationship. But almost every single group that preaches that, they still practice the, the vestiges, or they still practice the things of religion. They still practice them. We adore the accomplished, the accomplished, the famous, the wealthy, the strong, especially as our leaders. We give them honor and authority and power and we elevate them uh, based on the material, not the spiritual. We justify this because we have created a material kingdom that requires the accomplished to reign over it. Think about this. When you build a material kingdom that requires CPAs and attorneys to make sure everything's in harmony, that material kingdom will be governed by the mighty and strong and the weak and despised will not have a place in it. I don't see how that is connected to his victory over the weak and, and for the weak. It doesn't make sense to me. So the MDivs and, and, the, and the Harvard graduates with, with the intellectual acumen to be able to deliver these outstanding sermons full of eloquence and everything, but I just don't see how it plays in to the general description of the people that Christ reaches. 
So from governing boards of deacons and elders boards of regents to reverends and pastors, we have more and more allowed only the accomplished, more and more over time allowed the accomplished to be the ones that reign in religion. The writer of Hebrews describes some of the Old Testament people God used. Listen to how he describes them. And you know this chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. That they had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. It's a different time, I know. Yea, moreover, bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. Remember that line. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, didn't even receive the promise. Of course, when the word of God was made flesh and dwelled among us, he chose 12 outstanding citizens with great reputations to represent him and his good news to the world, didn't he? I mean, great pharisaical educations and knowledge of scripture. No, not at all. He, the most ardent, faithful, courageous followers of him also seem to have been the most lowly in the terms of, of just what they were. Harlots, sinners, adulterers, Samaritans, lepers, the lame gathered all around him. But the religious looked down and said, you eat with sinners. Why? You're breaking the law here. Master, let me ask you this question, trying to trap him. That's what this creates. And somehow in the list of, of his victorious great things that happen as a result, it gets lost. What happened? We started playing church. We started focusing on money because you have to pay to play. That's how it works. We forgot that his body is made of the weak and not the strong. We have forgot that. The weak have a place on the sidelines of our churches. The real, the real weak. Most of them aren't even allowed in if, you, if they really expose what their weaknesses are. We started becoming wise in our own eyes. And due to education and research and marketing strategies and, and masters of divinity, and we begin to think that the gospel is known intellectually when it is really only known through the spirit where intelligence has absolutely no bearing. The most banal, low IQ individual, if the spirit of God is in them, like the donkey that spoke in the Old Testament, has as much or more eloquence than the MDiv. We've lost that. And, 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 and so then when we start to build up all those things I just talked about, and we begin to war against the flesh, and we begin to get involved politically, and then we begin to fight interdenominationally, and the unity of the body is broken up because this guy's view is more important than that guy's view, and this guy's view is heretical, and all this stuff gets thrown up. Denominationalism reigns, and we presently chosen to fortify the body intellectually and materially rather than through humble approaches, deconstruction, less, low overheads, things of the spirit, not as much as, as the things of the flesh. Before long, churches started becoming schools. 
They started becoming colleges. They started becoming universities that granted degrees. And you go to that university, you have to, you have to, the spirit can't tell you what to think and believe. You don't have the right at that university to take a theology exam and say, no, I don't agree with this. They'll kick you out, you know? So this all gets mixed in. And pretty soon those business models and educational and academic degrees and intellectualism and all the rest comes in. So go back where the victory of Christ produces. Just go back from that. And what does it produce? It produces humility. And I suggest it should be seen in all aspects of the faith. That we don't need all the things that we've surrounded ourselves with. And so we look at the degrees, material campuses, money, established using Jesus' name, and people actually, they actually believe that the giant church campuses are God's will. They actually preach that, which it's absolutely opposite in the New Testament, the way Jesus explained that the Son of Man had no place to rest his head. That's his victory, his gospel. And yet the bigger and grander, I mean, the Mormons can make that example. We are the, so rich, they always did. They used to call in, you know, look at us. You know, the Catholics, look how much we that is not God. That's not, that's, the, that's not the that's the strong thing of the world, not the weak thing, you know. But they think God has authored this stuff, and I just it's just unconscionable to me. Proverbs eight thirteen says it well: the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. God is spirit; He seeks all who worship Him to worship Him in spirit and in truth, not materially. One of the ways that the few have stepped in and manipulated the many is they have made the lie of materialism a truth. It's now a truth in the body. And the lie of intellectualism is now acceptable in the body. And they have turned away from the very things God has chosen, the foolish things of the world, the weak things of the world, the base things of the world, and the things which are despised. And these are the things that God has chosen, but many churches have hailed and promoted the very opposite. So I didn't write it out today because I just kind of lectured it out, but bottom line, it seems to me that at the end, where the, his victory brings within the individual humility, <laughs> when it's funneled through religion, it winds back up <coughs> being pride. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-590-8413, 801-590-8413. We're going to show a spot. If there's calls, we'll take it. And if not, we'll get the heck out of here. Check this out. Jesus was born and his birth was celebrated. And he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And then his time had come. 
revival, miracles, praise from the masses. But soon, those same masses turned and walked no more with him. And Jesus, in truth, suffered alone. He was mocked, denied, forsaken. He was killed on a cross like a criminal outside the city gates where the masses thrived. As sold out followers of him, how could we in our lives expect anything different? We have uh, Jeff in uh, Oregon, I think Roseburg, Oregon. I can't tell, he's uh, on the line. And, but quickly, we have an off-air uh, question. Sean, could you address why God heals some and not others? I mean, if someone's child is healed from cancer, people rejoice and give God thanks for answering prayer. But then another person's child dies despite the prayers. In fact, lots of praying people lose their kids to cancer or other diseases. And in fact, lots of people die from diseases and car crashes despite prayer. Atheists use this as an argument against belief. And what about all those millions of Orthodox Christians who starved to death in the Soviet Union under Stalin? Think of how many prayers and how much faith they must have had. It seems that what happens, happens regardless of prayer. Uh, I, you know, who, who knows the answer to that? All I can say is uh, we pray and we're commanded to pray. We're told to pray. And that's how we communicate with our maker. But I think, in my opinion, uh, we pray so that we can understand his will and his decision. We pray that his will be done and we'll be able to live and accept it with that humility and trust him in his ways. Um, uh, we had recently someone in our congregation this past, young woman, uh, 40s from cancer, gave it fight of her life. We prayed for three years every uh, day, every time we met here at campus for her health and for her healing. It's not that God doesn't heal. Uh, he does through medicine. He does through uh, miraculously. He does with miracles. But when he chooses not to, that's his prerogative. Think of it this way. We all die. We are all going to die. The name it and claim it people often say you don't need to die, which I'm uh, not often, but I've heard it, which drives me nuts because we're all going to go. So everybody's not always going to be healed. So we pray that God's will will be done. We'll understand his will. We ask, Father, if you would, heal this person. If he does, we rejoice in him. If he doesn't, we say it's his, his will. We are going to go. We have Jeff in Oregon. We have Carlos in St. George. And we have Mark in Alberta, Canada. Let's quickly go to Jeff online one. Jeff, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean. Hey, um, hey man, I've been trying to get a hold of you for so long. Weeks and weeks. I'm so glad that tonight. Glad you're here. Uh, so I can't remember how I found you exactly. I think it might have been on maybe your Mormon Stories interview you did, or it might have just been a YouTube recommendation. 
sometime around Christmas, I was watching the clip of the call from Ravi that was labeled Mormon caller calls again, trying to spend doctor who wouldn't say yes or no. And that's what got me hooked on your show. You were like so hard back then, but you were mostly right. I thought it was funny to watch. And so I, I stuck around and started watching and I saw the What Happened to Heart of the Matter show and the episode with Jim Johnson. And I was like, wow, this is so interesting. So I searched and I found, I went all the way to episode 349, The Price of Truth. And I've watched every episode since then to catch up to, to tonight. Wow. And I just wanted to share a thought or two I had with you, if, if that's okay. Please. So I actually became a Mormon back in 1999 when I was 18 and uh, I'm not anymore but I did it back then because of love I just couldn't accept the idea that God would damn billions of people to hell and Mormonism seemed to have a better answer for me the best I could find at that time at least and uh, with with the baptism for the dead thing you know and and that appealed to me at the time and I and I it made sense anyway I ended up leaving the church in 2008 over a combination of issues some of them theological some political but i just wanted to say i really i love what you're doing i think it's helping all kinds of people who are honestly searching whether they're mormon ex-mormon evangelical intellectuals i think you're a little harsh on intellectuals tonight but intellectuals or even disillusioned people and i don't know if you're going to like hearing this or not there's a little irony to it but I'm pretty convinced that you are the most significant teacher to come out of Mormonism since <laughs> Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. You might be the best thing that Mormonism has ever produced. I mean, Joseph you? started it with charlatanism and dishonesty, but he was challenging the status quo in his day. And from what I tell, you've been honest, and you also challenged the status quo. Well, you know, all glory to God, because you know as well as I do, I've made a lot of mistakes, and I've, you know, I, I once, I once uh, really ardently defended Mormonism. I once ardently defended eternal punishment and a number of things, so I make mistakes like a regular fool every week. But I appreciate your uh, sticking with us through all the changes and, and your kind uh, compliment, my brother. Yeah, and I mean, having said that, I want to be honest, too, and say I'm not quite a believer, I consider myself kind of a soft agnostic right now. I just, I just don't know. But I do study the Bible. I'm interested in truth and interested in people who are honest. I'm open-minded. I think I'll probably have some questions for you in the future, but I just wanted to call and say thank you today and let you know how much it means to me. And, hey, if I'm ever in Salt Lake, I want to take you out to dinner. <laughs> just what I need, right? Uh, right? Je- <laughs> hey, Jeff, uh, yeah, so let's stay in touch and talk. And you know what? Your uh, soft agnosticism, it, it's honest, and you're, uh, it, don't shut the door. Just keep being a seeker, and, and you'll find. Yeah. 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 Awesome, brother. Thanks, Thanks so much man. for the call. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we'll talk to you later. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. Uh, I don't know who's on two and three. We've got some horrible artwork up here. Which line? Carlos. You have to turn your computer. You have to turn your computer down, Carlos. You're on the air. Oh my bad, homie. My bad. Yeah, I just turned it off right now. All right. What's up? Hey, nothing much, man. Uh, so I'm a little nervous. I don't do Twitter, Facebook, and I really don't communicate with people and stuff. But uh, yeah, man. Like I just watch you a lot in California. Like you're 
like in 2012, but I started from like episode number one, like 130, 140, man, and like, and then I've watched like the last hundred episodes, you know, like 450 to four to this one right here, man. It's like tripping me out to see your transition and stuff, but like, I love your open-minded approach, and it's been awesome to watch how you grow. I don't agree with everything you say and stuff, you know, but. That's good. 90% of Christian, you know? Yeah. So, but, uh, anyway, man, so, um, I just wanted to, like, to, to understand, like, your view on the King James, because, like, I seen, I don't want to say you've attacked the Bible, but, like, I just love the symbiotic relationship that the KJV has. And when I read new versions to the Bible, it's fragmented, you yeah. know? And you can't really cross-reference like you can with the KJV. And it's just been, I know, like, when I, when I read this King James Bible, I don't want to sound like a Mormon, but, like, I know it's true and it's just 100% perfect. And if it's God's word, it must be perfect, you know? And I just like to understand your view on that, how you've come to, like, the conclusions you've come to, because, like, I see this really, I've done a rigorous investigation of this over the last couple of years, and I just want to hear your thoughts on that, bro. Well, Carlos, understand I uh, am a firm, staunch supporter of the word of God, and, uh, and I love it. I'm in it every day, as long as I can... Uh, be in it, and uh, and I do believe it is God's word, and I think it is sufficient, and it is infallible. Uh, but in terms of um, uh, word perfectness, whenever that is talked about, we're always talking about original manuscripts. We're never talking about the the books we're holding in our hand. And when I when we go through on Sundays and we teach through, and I teach through the King James, and there. Uh, there are mistakes. They are, they are flat out scribal errors. Even there, there are some passages that looking at manuscript evidence appear to have been certainly inserted in. And, uh, you know, Erasmus. And, but this isn't, we're talking about a very, very small, small percentage of, and it's a, it's a miracle. And, and so I know the original, uh, manuscripts were, were word perfect, and I know that the Bibles we hold in our hands are sufficient, they're infallible, they'll lead all people, whatever version you're reading, and, and the King James is, is my favorite, but people have a great, diff, have a difficult time reading that, and the other versions are not so bad, the ESV's a great Bible, uh, the nearly inspired version's a good Bible, uh, and, but, you know, look, at it's, it's not the word perfectness. It's the spirit that is leading you while you read those words and what it conveys to your heart. Those are, the, those are the two witnesses we're looking at. The words alone have created more division. We did four parts on, eight parts on Sola Scriptura two years ago. And, and I mean, where's Sola Spiritus? We do Sola Scriptura, but where's Sola? Yeah. So anyway... Yeah, yeah, I feel I feel you for sure. I feel you for sure. Like when when I read my King James, I have a New Living Translation with more for thought, and I have an ESV. Yeah. And I love and I love the smooth reading of the ESV, and I'll never dare say if someone reads some particular verse of the Bible and they're not safe. Yeah. Good. 
but like, but matter of fact, this like we're publishing companies, all of that, like by rule, it has to be ten percent different. So out of like two hundred versions of the Bible, a hundred, you know, a hundred and ninety are just to make money. You know, and, and it's and it's quite evident, and you're seeing it, it, it does doctrine, and it's a serious thing. So. I just want to say, just read any Bible good for you. You know, I would point people to Bibles that have manuscript evidence and what have you, but yeah. I think it all points to the KGB for sure when it's all said and done. I mean, yeah, I agree you know, with you. Uh, yeah, like a lot of people, sorry to cut you off, but a lot of people are saying, you know, like, uh, John 5 7 not being there. But the matter of the fact is, when they go, you know, to the Five to eight goes, and these three agree. Drop it in, in agree, agree one. You know, they have to adjust how they interpret it, and then like the verses don't even make sense. So you could tell that it's supposed to be there. You know, I know issues. Don't say Jesus, the Father, the Trinitarian. As long as they say Jesus is God, and you know, when all said and done, yeah. But but it's, it's amazing, and then like the difference like, in the KJV. Spanish also, you know, they're just, they're language barriers, but there's not complete opposite of me, and it's along the lines, so like when I tell a joke in Spanish, people like, oh, that joke sounds better in Spanish, and it doesn't have the thing in English, but the matter of the fact is when you reference and you do deep, dig deep into the KJB, it's really just trustworthy, and it scares me to see the other Bibles out there that just completely just messed up verses they're just unrecognizable you know hey Those carlos yeah so i i uh you know one i love your passion for the king james and i love your passion for the word of god and i would never ever try to uh argue with your points i think you for you that is a wonderful thing one of just one thought often yeah. i've met people who like in the 60s at calvary chapel they came to understand jesus through reading the way and i mean there's different Bible translations out there that get, you know, they're, they're kind of laughable, I guess, but they are, they're giving the central message. And what happens, Carlos, is once that central message starts to germinate in the heart of a believer, they begin to seek for, for more. Like I've gone from studying the King James now, my wife got me oh, a, a Young's Literal, and I start, now I study from the Young's Literal, and I like that much better. But it takes time. So, you know, I, I love the position you're at, but I think in time, other people grow into that. They will get there by the Spirit. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, like, I, I agree with what you're saying. You know, like, you no know, cross to the ESP. Yeah. So, that was the version of the Bible I read. I loved it. Yeah. I liked reading it, but I always reference back to the EJP. And, you know, and overall, man, like, I love your passion. I love you question everything. You touch every topic, and I think it was like episode four seventy six, four seventy seven about the preexistence. Bit. I learned a lot, man. That was pretty cool. You know, like I watched a lot of online pastors, and you're kind of like I know through these classes, you're kind of like my elective teacher. You know, like I have fun, but that one, I was like, whoa, I learned a lot, and I was impressed. Praise God. I really love how you dig into the scripture and. Uh, just keep doing hey. what you're doing and same to you, brother. Uh, I, I'm surrounded by you know LDS here, like members from Miami. So like, 
And I talked with LDS how they have like zero understanding and sexual message of the gospel, and it really like bugged me out. Like, I'm like, when you know, I talk about faith, just the robot, they go, faith for the work is dead, and they like, they understand nothing about <laughs> James 2, and it just makes shots. And I know you probably got enough taller, but it's like, a, look at this right here James. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm just so well, give up, keep planting those seeds, Carlos. We're going to go to a, a one more last call, but thank you so much for calling. All right, all right. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for talking to my call. I appreciate it, bro. See you, bro. Love you. Bye-bye. We're going to Mark. Mark, you've only got one minute. Okay. Uh, John, I just want to first well, the inspired version. That's going to be funny. Anyhow, um, uh, have you heard of uh, Bethel there in Redding, California? Yeah. yeah. Now, um, we had a, at my church here, uh, my pastor had the anniversary uh, of, of founding the uh, church here in, in the Afton area. And uh, um, there was a pastor who came up from Calgary and took his notes that he's in a chant from Bethel and started the program been about six years now, but I just got in because love says go, it happened. And I tell you, I'm in my second week of it right now, and they open up every Monday, they open up an online course, and then you get into a, invited into a Facebook group, and there's people all over the world in it, and uh, then you do, right now, this week's assignment is to um, reach out to somebody in the group you, you don't know, but you got to pray, because what they want you to do is get into, your, into a more covered zone of listening to the voice of God. And um, and I tell you, I just you reach out and then you had to, given us, uh, the assignment was to describe somebody what type of animal they are. Not, you can be negative, so not a, not a, a dog or something. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm talking, it, it can't be negative, it has to be totally positive. Yeah. And then, uh, and then but that's so you can listen to the God. God telling you about a person you don't even know. And I reached to somebody just today and wrote my you know, statements of this and what that animal does and so so forth and represents what that type of person is. Just listen to the spirit. And this person was all the way in Switzerland. And so, um, and of course, I haven't got a feedback yet because you got to get a feedback and then send it to your course instructor. But, um, and then reach out to a family member, a loved one, a spouse or whatever and things like that do the same type of thing but more on a, on a, more, a more personal level because you know them and um and this it's, it's wonderful wonderful training and that stuff so there's a lot of movement going on out there praise uh, god away from the brick and mortar is what Good. i'm saying and and so i'm just i just wanted to let you know that there's a lot of a lot of love and movement and the holy spirit is moving in different ways outside the brick and mortar Awesome, brother. And, uh, we appreciate it, Mark. That. 
And I just want to tell you one more thing. Uh, I'll be uh, going to uh, uh, Orlando next week, and I'll be staying at uh, Adams Road Hotel, so I'll say hi to them for you. I know they're coming on your show in October. Yeah, we're going to have them in October do a concert here. Thank you. Give, them, give them love. Here. They're coming up here to bring them up to Edmonton. Awesome. Thanks for calling, Mark. Bye-bye. I'm really sorry. Those calls were, I, I was getting every 45th word. Uh, my apologies. Uh, next week, we're going to go to our next step. We had good news, unburdening of cares, true humility, true humility, and number four, he has all authority. We're going to use the scripture to show what it says about his authority in our lives. He has it all, and we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm on a ride, going nowhere. I am an existential cowboy on the wind. And I won't be coming out, I'm going in. This man's awake. The storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till 